Ed Morrissey Show podcast edition. As always on Tuesdays, we get to talk to the prince of Twitter, the regent of redstate.com, Andrew Malcolm, at A.H. Malcolm on the Twitters. And of course, if you're a VIP member over at redstate.com, where he is, uh, where he, he holds court uh, regularly on a regular basis at redstate.com. Yeah, re- regions, regions Court. Regents Court. Sounds like a really bad condo association, right? Regents Court. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what it is if you're behind in your dues. <laughs> Otherwise, it's King's Court. But if you're behind on your HOA, it's Regents Court. All right. Um, but you're a prince, so we don't have to worry about that with you, Andrew. That's fine. right. Right. Um, yeah. So lots of news to discuss today. And we're going to get to your um, we're going to get to your. Uh, your column, your VIP column in, in just a moment. But we have breaking news that we have to talk about. Breaking news, I tell you. Condoleezza Rice is now a part owner of the Denver Broncos. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That's it's so amazing. Wonderful. It's great. It's awesome. She's such a nice, smart, savvy person uh, and humble. I worked with her on the first Bush campaign uh, a, a fair amount. And she, she is a huge NFL fan. Huge. She has been. And you know what team she's for, Ed? Yeah, the Denver Broncos. No, she's with, she's working for the Denver Broncos, but she grew up, she and her father were huge Cleveland Browns fans because they were on the TV in Birmingham, Alabama every weekend. Yep. Yep. I know the story. Um, you know, had she bought into the Cleveland Browns franchise, though, oh, Andrew, I would a... I would bet that I would bet that she would have been smarter than to hire Deshaun Watson and let Baker Mayfield oh. go and end up with no quarterbacks at all for 2022. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, you're just saying. Well, no, actually, there's Jacoby Brissett, Ed. <gasps> Jacoby Brissett. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah. Who's what thrown like 22 passes? I in think the so. NFL. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I know that guy, and and I'm sad to say that the Browns owner Jimmy Haslam is uh, from Tennessee. He's That's the right. guy that owns. He's the guy that owns the Pilot Gas Station chain, truck stops. Yep. And his brother, who used to be governor of Tennessee, just bought the Nashville Predators or controlling interest. So. These guys are, uh, oh, and uh, the Cleveland Browns owner also owns the the soccer team in Columbus, whatever that's called. Um, so, the not Browns. It's the Columbus yeah. not Browns. Um, yeah. Exactly. But boy, is he screwing over the Browns. I mean, I, I Art Modell moved them to Baltimore and, and or abandoned them and moved the team to Baltimore. But, uh, this guy has made all the wrong decisions, uh, firing John Dorsey and uh, letting uh, uh, Jarvis Landry go and, and Baker Mayfield. And uh, I just, it's just, um, it's, it's just sad. And, and my new team now is the Carolina Panthers, Ed. Yes, because that's where Baker Mayfield ended up was the Carolina Panthers. Had, yeah. If he'd ended up in Pittsburgh, would you have, would you have, would you no. have become a? Oh, okay, I didn't think so. By the way, <laughs> we we should also mention. By the way, and again, congratulations to former Secretary Condoleezza Rice because um, uh, that it's awesome. I was really hoping she'd replace Roger Goodell <laughs> as commissioner, yeah. well, but think, this is almost as good. No, this is the 
this is the beginning, Ed. Oh, and okay. I think she, I, no, I'm serious. She used to say when they asked her, they said, well, you know, do you want a job in the Bushman Street? And she said, no, no. And said, what's your ideal job, Condi? And she said, uh, I would like to be commissioner of the National Football League. And I know from spending time with her, that wasn't a joke. I mean, I, it may not have been real at the realistic at the time, but now that she's a part owner, you know, she I think she would. Yeah, I mean, I think she could have. I think she could have gotten there a, a different way. But that, now that she's a part owner, she really does have her foot in the door for the next commissioner job. There's no doubt about it. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. She's and uh, when she gets to know and schmooze the other owners, uh, and she's, you know, she's just a genuinely nice person who's also very, very smart, very, very smart, extraordinary, and very smart. savvy, and very savvy um politically savvy but also savvy in terms of personal relationships and mm -hmm. and uh and her story is wonderful i mean she she heard when the church blow up when those little black girls were killed in birmingham right and, uh, could have been her uh yeah she um anyway i wish like you i wish her all the best Me i too. think it'll be fun i'm I don't think I could ever cheer for the Broncos, but I can certainly cheer for Condi Rice. I'm going to cheer for her. I, I, the same way I cheer for John Elway. I'm not cheering for the Broncos because I'm a Steelers fan. Um, you know, I, I cheer for other teams, you know, when the Steelers aren't involved, but they're an AFC team, so there's going to still be some yeah. competition there. But, um, yeah, I'm going to cheer for her. I'm going to cheer for John Elway. I like them both. And I, I think it's and, a great story for the NFL. It's a great yeah. move oh, yeah. for the yeah. NFL, no doubt about it. But I, uh, I've gotten so that I'm not, so much into teams uh well i for like full-time fan for teams but i like to watch like i love to watch patrick mahomes and yes. i love to watch and i love to watch tom brady i love watching uh drew Brees. um those guys joe joe montana um those guys are surgeons uh, uh with the ball and i yep. just it's just so beautiful to see a uh, drew Brees. You know, he'd be going out under pressure, guys hanging on his shirt. He's looking off the defensive back and then throwing it to an open guy in the end zone. I, it just, that's just so smooth and sad. I suppose Aaron Rodgers is the same, but that's the Packers. Yeah, that's Packers. Yeah, and I do have to mention that there's a new development in, in Steelerland too. Oh. Um, they, they've renamed the stadium. Um, uh Heinz Ketchup has uh, given up, or Heinz Varieties, whatever it's called. Heinz Company has given up its uh, naming rights to the stadium. They could, uh, it, the Steelers apparently wanted to keep extending it, but they didn't want to spend the money on it. It is now going to be known as Acrisure Stadium. <laughs> what? Acre what is it? It's a, some sort of insurance company, Acrisure Oh, yeah, stadium. they're the ones with the money. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, Staples, um, the naming rights got sold to some uh, cyber company. That anyway, yes. Staple, and and a porn site came in and offered more money now to buy it back to buy the naming rights. I just think that I mean, they, they probably won't, but I just think that's so funny. The, uh, the all these stupid names of these insurance companies that you know, risk assured stadium. It's just, it's silly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really dumb. I hate naming rights. I get why it is. It's free market. It's fine. 
But I wasn't even really crazy about Heinz Field, but at least at least it was easy to say. Akrasure Stadium. Um, I like Three Rivers Stadium, right? I mean, oh yeah, that's right. What was that before Heinz? Or was it that was it was stadium? it's the old it was the old stadium. That was the multi-use stadium. The, the, the uh, Pirates used to play there, and the um, yeah. and and now each of them have their own stadiums. And I've been to well, what was formerly known as Heinz Field, and it's nice. It's a nice stadium. It's a great football stadium, but. Um, yeah, that was when I saw them. I, I saw the, uh, I saw the Steelers get clobbered by the San Diego Chargers. <laughs> the one time I've been to a game oh. there, that was, I had my head painted up and everything. It was really sad. Oh, um, oh I remember that the yeah. head painting. Yeah, head painting. Remember the, the head um, painting? I was at July Fourth, uh, near this. Uh, I don't know what it was called then. I guess it would have been Three Rivers. Um, well, I don't know. I was near whatever stadium it was in 1981. Yeah, that would be Three Rivers. It was Three Rivers yeah. Stadium, yeah. And um, was it the same place? Because it was right by the river. It's The new stadium is across from where the old stadium used to be. It's, across, it's right across, across the river. What? The one river. of the rivers. Oh, okay. One of, one of the rivers. So, um, anyway, the, uh, the, the Pittsburgh Symphony uh, played the 1812 Overture. And we were lying on blankets, me and my family, and the uh, they had the National Guard with its 105 howitzers with blank shells. So Ooh. when the, when that time when the 1812 Overture came, they 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 uh, set them off. It was that was awesome. Have real cannons. That that would be that would that would definitely put an exclamation point on that. Did you see um, our friend John Andrasik was in Kiev over the weekend? Oh no! Yeah, he did, a, he did a he did a he did a it's a benefit. Uh, well, not a benefit. It wasn't a, it wasn't a full concert, but they recorded him playing with the key, with the Ukrainian National Orchestra in the airfield in front of that destroyed um, uh, Antonov An uh, it was yeah. a day in twenty two I think it is the one that was the largest yeah. airplane in the world until the Russians bombed it, yeah, and destroyed it. So yeah, he um, he has that song "Can One Man Save the World," which is about Vladimir Zelensky and you know the the um, Ukrainians you know fighting um, fighting off the Russians. So he went to Kiev over the weekend and he re <laughs> he recorded the song with uh, with the uh, Ukrainian orchestra in front of that airplane in front of that destroyed airplane. It's really oh, moving. What a sight! Yeah. Oh, it was amazing. Uh, this is the strangest war where those things go on and at the same time as there's a war. Yeah. I, I realize there's not fighting everywhere all the time, but well, kind it, uh, of because they're still firing missiles at at at, at Kiev at from Kiev, time yeah. to time, and Mykolaiv yeah. and 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 some of the other cities too. And um, so yeah, I mean, kind of it is. And so it wasn't um, it wasn't a risk free jaunt no. that John took. I'm I'm going to be talking with John later in the week. We're, we're trying to schedule a an interview but he's he's doing other interviews this week on the basis of this so uh, john andrasic oh, cool. from five for fighting and so yeah it's uh he's uh it was really moving so i texted him and said you know be careful coming back but i'd love <laughs> to talk to you when you're when you're back in the states and of course he's a very generous guy and was very kind he said yes i'd love to do an interview we, we need to do an interview and so uh so we're negotiating a time that's coming up but probably uh, that's in cool Hopefully on Thursday's show, maybe maybe it might be uh, more like next week's show. But all right, so uh, I want to get to your uh, column here because I, I want to make sure we get a chance to cover it. And it's dovetailing with a lot of other things that's coming up. And uh, this is the VIP column over at redstate.com. Went up yesterday, which was Sunday. 
Uh, the real reason behind Democrats' 2022 looming doom is not Joe Biden, sort of. Because <laughs> it is about Joe Biden, but it's also that, what, Andrew? <laughs> well, the Democrats are in deep doo-doo, and it goes back 12 years to Barack Obama, who put them in the deep doo-doo. In the 2010 midterm, we're coming up on Biden's first midterm, in, in Obama's first midterm in 2010. Remember, he'd passed uh, Obamacare with not a single Republican vote. Just They just rammed it through, and that's when Nancy Pelosi said, we have to pass it to find out what's in it. Uh, and then they passed, the, well, I think it was $850 million stimulus bill that, that did nothing, basically. Um, and he was just acting, Obama was very arrogant. He was all about Obama all the time. And he didn't put much in to the party. Um, and he had his own campaign organization. He didn't work through the DNC. Uh, and as a result, they lost, um, I think it was six seats in the Senate and 63 seats in the House, which was yeah. the, worst, the worst since the 1930s. Uh, of course, presidents usually lose, except I think two or three times in modern history, usually lose seats in their first midterm, but not 63. No. And, uh, uh, and what that did uh, was it, well, it ruined a whole lot of, uh, it, it turned the House over to the Republicans. But on the state level, and the media doesn't pay much attention to this because it's bad news, on the state level, Obama's first midterm resulted in almost a thousand Democrats losing on state races. Uh, and there were uh, 20 state legislative changes, uh, chambers that changed um, power control to Republicans. A number of uh, governors, at one point, 34 of the 50 governors were Republicans. Well, that's one thing, and it's usually transitory. Um, however, it was 2010. So those missing uh, 1,000 Democrat local elected people were not in position to do anything about the reapportionment uh, from the 2010 census. And they've gained back, I think, 200, 250 of the 1,000. But the uh, same thing happened again with this reapportionment, redistricting. So um, they've lost a lot of their safe districts um as a result of barack obama and his arrogance um, he got involved in only one house election um, he found time in 416 weeks as president to be at 416 fundraisers but um, he didn't find time to do much for democrats who were running you know and the the uh, to me the um i think really what the key here is that you're, what you're seeing is a uh, democratic confidence collapse in mm. in in Biden as and and again to your point with nobody on the bench and with no real structure either. Uh, so I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But more to your point about the about the 2010 2012 cycles 2014 cycle. You know when Republicans managed to take the Senate away as well as. Um, um, uh, expand their 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 footprint in the house to I think it's largest I think it was the largest footprint that they'd had since uh, the depression or since before the depression was in uh, after the 2014 election 
the 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 key here is uh, the key to that is that Republicans actually have, you know, uh, what is it, 212 seats? So that's starting off at um, 188 like they did in 2010. So they don't need to get 63 seats in order to have a really big yeah. election day. I mean, what they need to do is they need to take, you know, back the seats that they lost in uh, 2018 and uh, and and add a few more because I think that it, the cycle is at least that good. Now Politico has a story out today that says that Republicans are now starting to spend in districts where Democrats have been winning by double digits because mm -hmm. they see Biden's numbers being so bad so that bad. they're they're dragging Democrats down in those districts and Democrats are worried about those districts now. Well, and they should be. I mean that is. I mean that runs a risk. On the other side right if you win a bunch of d plus 12 districts let's just say you know you win a bunch of d plus 12 districts in this cycle because biden's president you're likely not to hold them <laughs> you know down the road right. unless you really have a realigning election which is certainly possible but really but, honestly you're, you're but, probably not going to hold those districts but you'll probably no, hold a whole bunch of the others but in the in the last two years of a biden term yeah you will be able to block anything you want yes you will be able to stop a lot of nonsense from coming down the pike with numbers like that i mean if republicans get to 250 260 um biden is a lame duck president doesn't matter what's going on in the senate but here's the other point and i make this point in a post later on monday you and i as you and i are talking it's not up yet but i've already written the post which is that if you're converting d plus 11 to d plus 12 districts even if you're even if your polling numbers aren't looking great in some of those marginal Senate races, like in Wisconsin, in Pennsylvania, in Georgia, you're likely going to win those because you're flipping so many of those votes in, yeah. in those districts that you're going to have sort of a coattail effect on the Senate races in those states. And, and I think that maybe if, if we're seeing um, Democrats play defense, and D plus double digit districts and Republicans are playing are spending real money on offense in those districts. I think you're looking at a turnout model that is going to be something significantly different than what we saw in 2010. I mean, a right. much bigger red wave. And it doesn't seem like, according to the polls, abortion is going to be the Democratic turnout no. uh, valve, valve that they want it to be. Um, now, we have to guard against overconfidence. I uh, was working at the uh, Republican National Committee in 1998 when everyone there was sure that things were going to go well, and they didn't. Uh, they were, thought they was going to go well because um, Clinton and Monica was the hot issue at the right. time. But um, they overreached. So yep. uh, a good lesson there that I hope is remembered, even though it's 24 years ago. Well, I mean, it wasn't even 24 years ago. I mean, they were they could have won the Senate in 2010, but they ran some bad candidates, right? Yeah. And it was the whole Tea Party thing, and they ran some bad candidates, and the margin just simply wasn't large enough. But there's this is different, and I'll tell you why. Okay. Is and and you're you've got your you're putting your finger on it in, in, in your in your post here, in your uh, column, your VIP uh, column at redstate.com. And the difference is Joe Biden. In 2010, Barack Obama was marginally unpopular. His his agenda was unpopular. 
His job approval was marginally negative, but his his personal favorability ratings were still largely positive. Yeah. In fact, they were they were positive really up until about uh, the year after his reelection in 2013. And even then, I mean, it inverted, but it was really narrow, right? This is he's basically tied on favorability until he got to the like the last year of his term in office. Then he became really favorable all over again, right? It just you know took his victory lap. And sometimes that happens with the presidents. They become a lot more popular at the very end of their second term. And um, that's not the case with Joe Biden. I mean, his job approval ratings are in the low 30s now. In some polls, you know, civics, he briefly tipped over to 29% until coming back the next day. It's a tracking poll. So the next day he was back up to 30. But I mean, you take a look at, at his, his, um, the negative gap on his job approval on in real clear politics is 20 plus points now. <laughs> and uh, his favorability numbers aren't much better. He's in the 30s on favorability. He is deeply underwater there. It's something that was never true of um, Barack Obama. And it was certainly true. It was true that Trump spent his entire four years more unpopular than popular in terms of personal numbers. But it wasn't this bad either. I mean, maybe it got this bad right, you know, around January 6th and, and, and shortly thereafter. For most of his presidency, it wasn't anywhere near this bad. This president is not just, you know, being rejected in terms of performance. People don't like him and yeah. strongly don't like him. And that is very different than in 2010. And I think it's going to have, I think that's really the key to seeing what the amplitude of this red wave is going to be. People are viscerally reacting to Joe Biden and not in the way that he thinks that they are. That's right. That's right. And very negative. And his son isn't helping him. No. Uh, I mean, what a scumbag. Jeez, oh, Pete. You know, and more, more stuff coming out. Um, you know, we, I was uh, with friends over the weekend and, and uh, we were talking a little bit about that. And, and uh, although people don't talk so much about politics anymore, even with friends, um, and, I, and uh, someone said, well, wait, who, who was his father? <laughs> who was doing the parenting? Yeah. You know, and I, so I guess Bo, the late Bo Biden, was, was the favorite. And um, to get attention or whatever, Hunter was... Uh, getting in trouble and has been ever since. I, I actually think that this is a mental health issue. Yeah. I mean, some of this stuff is just, it, it looks like some sort of, you know, mania almost, you know, this, yeah. you know, he, describing in, in himself in, in God, you know, God-like terms, describing his father in God-like terms, you know, the addictions are part of that. Um, but there's something clearly, um, wrong uh, you know illness wise with hunter yeah. biden so I, you yeah. know there's not much you can do about that if you're if you're joe biden but um because he's an adult and you know unless he's willing well to... not now no but right yeah, yeah something something was something's very wrong with hunter biden yeah it's uh uh and and um joe is not doesn't seem to be the least bit embarrassed in fact, there were. I had a post uh, Red State a while back was not a VIP, but questioning why why would the two of them in their emails came out of Hunter's laptop? Why would they use code names for each other? I mean, yeah, 
know, if you're talking with your father, do you use a code? code? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it just, yeah, you're right. It's strange and inexplicable, but not in a positive way. No, no. And I think it probably is contributing a little bit, but mostly it's Joe Biden swearing he wasn't going to leave Afghanistan until the Americans got out and then abandoning them there. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, it's, you know, refusing to take any responsibility for inflation, mischaracterizing it for months on end, saying it wasn't actually inflation, saying it was growth, saying it was transitory, saying it was corporate greed, saying it's Putin's fault today, it's or yesterday on Sunday. Uh, it's, you know, Republican obstructionism's fault. And I mean, it's just absurd. This guy doesn't take responsibility for anything. And Americans figure that out. They do. They, in the end, they don't figure it out at the moment, but in the end it accumulates uh, and they do, they do figure it out of who's, yep. who's decent, who's not, and uh, who to like and who not to like. And you can tell on Twitter, uh, the Biden folks are very quiet. There's well, very few people. Yeah, there, there's yeah. not a whole lot of defenders out there in social media anymore. In fact, no, no. the progressives that normally would handle that duty are organizing to push them out. And this is this is the last topic this we'll get amazing. to. Amazing, right? Now, there's a there's a progressive grassroots group called RootsAction.org. Root, it's uh, yeah, RootsAction.org, and they campaigned for Joe Biden in 2020, 2019, 2020. They campaigned to get progressives to rally behind Joe Biden. Well, they're campaigning again, <laughs> but according to Politico, um, it's. Um, a left-wing group that worked in 2020 to persuade progressives to support President Joe Biden is now preparing to turn on him. Uh, <laughs> they plan to launch a public pressure campaign to block his renomination in 2024. Uh, says it, it plans to spend six figures on a hashtag Don't Run Joe campaign with digital ads starting in early nominating states on November 9, one day after the midterm elections. <laughs> yeah. Buyer's remorse. Yeah. Yeah, well, there is. Uh, and you remember before the election, the polls show that the 70 percent of uh, people that were going to vote for Biden uh, were said they were really voting against Trump. Right. Uh, and uh, <laughs> uh, what that does, and I have to admit that I did that in 1976, uh, what that does is it. Um, causes you to not examine the person who's really getting your vote. And uh, there was ample evidence through 2019 and 20 that Joe was not all there, uh, closeted in his basement, uh, picking fights with, with black uh, uh, interviewers um, and uh, knocking off at 10, 11 in the morning on campaign days. It, you know, it, this this shouldn't be a surprise to people, um, but it's it's kind of kind of serious, Ed. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, the for us it's like, oh, gee, there he goes again. But for the world, they're looking at it, and the bad guys like Putin and Z, they're 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 and um, Kim. And, and the Iranians. And, and the know. Iranians, yeah. They're all, I, yeah. Oh, this is a real opportunity, you know? I mean, this is the best guy on the other team is um, is on the IR mentally. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so they can take uh, they can take advantage. 
and they are. And remember, it wasn't a coincidence that um, Putin uh, seized Crimea uh, in, um, what was it 2015? Was it? Uh, yep. What, what they, they seized Crimea in 2015 and then- 2014, 2014. 14, yeah. 14, and then no seizing. And then 60 days after, a year ago, March, 60 days after Trump left, the unpredictable Trump left, Putin started uh, gathering his troops on the uh, Ukraine border um, because he knew, he knew Joe. Yep. Um, yep. And uh, uh, <laughs> there's so many things. You, uh, uh, Karen and some of your other writers there have, have outlined it and over at Red State, uh, Nick has been doing a lot of stuff about the strange things that go on. There was an apparent argument with Jill in public. Um, uh, you know, he's reading his instructions on the teleprompter. He's reading them as part of Yeah, his that speech. was odd, wasn't it? It's strange. And then the White House editing the transcript. Now this is an official government transcript that's gonna to go to the National Archives, but they're editing it to have him say what he didn't say uh, yeah. to cover up the fact that um, it, 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 he was reading the teleprompter line that says, repeat that line. And he read it as if it was part of the speech. Yep. But they, they changed that to say in the transcript, let me repeat that line to make it look like it was intentional, which it was not. And if you, watch, not. if you watch the video on C-SPAN, you can hear it. He just reads it. There's no let me in there. Right. So it's uh, it's sad. Uh, and it's, I don't know, trouble for us for two years yet. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, we're just about at the end of our usual podcast time. But as always, we don't want to go anywhere until we get at least a couple jokes of the week from you. Well, I'm down to uh, reusing old ones, but they're still kind of funny. I like them. Saturday Night Live uh, uh, replay, it says that Giants pitcher Tim Hudson became the oldest World Series Game 7 starter ever at the age of 39. He was pulled in the second inning at the age of 41. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, Fallon uh, replay says Facebook closed 6 million U.S. accounts last year. Five million were Russian agents. The other million were people who keep posting, I'm so ready for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. I like that one. Um, and finally, uh, another foul. And he says, a man was caught tasting soup at a restaurant buffet directly from the ladle and then putting the ladle back into the soup. Eventually, a manager escorted Bernie Sanders back to his campaign. <laughs> <bus>. <laughs> well, there yeah. you go. There, there you, go. you go. What can you say? What can you say? You know, I I, I realize that Saturday Night Live is on vacation, right? They, 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 their season ended in mid-May, and they were not going to be back until September. So, you know, they're not on in the summertime like most television series. However... What do you think the odds are that Saturday Night Live, as a cold open, would have invited Will Ferrell to come on and do uh, an impersonation of Joe um, Joe Biden as Ron Burgundy 
um, reading, <laughs> reading the, the, uh, the, um, um, because you know, in, in Anchorman, oh, yeah. they, they can't put any of the instructions on there. Cause they say, if you put it up there, he's going to read it aloud. And he does, you know, at one point read the teleprompter instructions aloud. I, I suspect that the chances of that happening, if Saturday Night Live was even on, you know, was live yeah, yeah. last week, would have been slim to none anyway. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but it's so funny. I mean, that when that comparison was made, when he read those lines, and then you remember what Burgundy said on the lines, said, and, the, and, and the people in the control, don't put it on, he'll say whatever's on the prompter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. President you Ron Burgundy. Diego's, you suck. <laughs> <laughs> President Ron Burgundy. That's what we've got. All right. All right. But what we've got also is the prince of Twitter, the regent of redstate.com, Andrew Malcolm, at A.H. Malcolm on the Twitterses, and, of course, at redstate.com. Don't forget to read his latest column, The Real Reason Behind Democrats' 2022 Looming Doom is Not Joe Biden. And, again, that's a VIP membership. you got to be a member to access it, and uh, you got to be a member to do the comments. And we are loving the, the, the members-only comments these days. So, you know, keep them coming. If you're already a VIP member or VIP Gold member, thanks for doing that. And uh, Andrew, I know, thanks you for that as well. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And if you use Malcolm for your discount code, you get a little bit off, I think. There you go. So if you haven't signed up yet, use Malcolm for the discount code. You get a little, you get a little something, something if you do that. This is, this is a great time to, this is a great time to jump in and do that. Do it at Hot Air. If you do VIP Gold, then you get it for all the different town hall sites, both Hot Air, Imagine Red that. State, Bearing Arms, um, you know, Twitchy. Um, whatever else we got going on, <laughs> AJ Media, uh, whatever else we got going on, you can uh, you, you get membership at all those fine sites. All right, Andrew Malcolm, thanks so much for being with us, as always, on Tuesdays. Thanks, Ed. See you next week, everybody. See you next week. Stay tuned for more from The Ed Morrison Show. This is Ed Morrissey of HotAir.com for Town Hall. After fumbling for two weeks on the Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade, Joe Biden and his fellow Democrats have settled on their midterm message. That message is that they want women to turn out in droves to support their position that the federal government should make abortion accessible at all stages of pregnancy. President Biden said as much, and I quote, I don't think the court, or for that matter, Republicans, have a clue about the power of American women, but they're about to find out, end quote. According to a survey conducted by Harvard and Harris polling after the Dobbs decision, though, Biden and Democrats don't have a clue about women or abortion. Far from supporting their extremist position, 75% of all women oppose abortion after 15 weeks, and so do 60% of Democrats. In fact, not a single voting demographic supports the Biden-Schumer-Pelosi proposal that would end all restrictions on abortion. When it comes to understanding women and abortion, it's Biden who needs a clue. I'm Ed Morrissey. Thanks for being a part of the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Please subscribe at YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcast for further episodes of the Ed Morrissey Show.